Well, welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. And today is an exciting day because of last weekend's football. I don't even call it. Uh, oh, my gosh. But what is the proper phrase for that kind of buffet of incredible dishes of, of football games that we experienced last weekend? Does the word come to your mind? Like Odyssey? That'll work. Of football? Uh, I, I don't know. This is the pinnacle of playoffs? It is now Thursday of this week, and I am still just caught up in the moment. That's all I want to do is talk about it. I want to watch different newscaps. All four games were amazing. We're going to talk about that in our courtroom quarterback section, which admittedly will be a little bit longer than normal because of the great games. But we got a lot of legal news to cover first. But first, um, uh, Chris, we we got you a little bit of a promotion. Uh, What I do is I offer comedian of law CLE classes. Now, you used to be in the CLE business, but we offer CLE businesses. And I like to say they educate and entertain. Chris, as you know, a lot of CLE classes can be dreadfully boring. Oh, horribly boring. Horribly how much boring. Can, how much can someone learn when they are asleep? Have you ever thought about that? No. Well, I think that um, I've been trying to learn it my entire marriage, right? I fall asleep and my wife's still <laughs> talking to me. She thinks that I understand what's going on. But no, that has been proven false. That, okay. Well, yeah, I don't even want to touch that one, but that is interesting. So our, um, our, our, our level of education is somewhat above that of those that fall asleep because they actually stay awake during the class. Nonetheless, Correct. our website is comedianoflaw.com. Check us out if you need continuing legal education credits. Uh, if you want us to come to your event, your your conference to speak to your conference or to your firm. In fact, I'm doing one here this, um, and this afternoon for a law firm yeah. out there in California. And so, uh, check us out. Also, Chris, I got to say this, we've got to make a plug and ask our listeners we really to do. give us a five star review listeners. Trust me. This is how these podcasts grow and get bigger. You know, we have goals this year to get this podcast to the 10,000 level mark. It's we not do. going to happen if we don't have your help. And so if you like this podcast, which Chris, I do have to ask if you don't like this podcast, why are you still listening? Because sports because law because you don't like it you know what there's a lot of other options out there so if you don't like it this is not for you admittedly but if you do like us we want you to give us a five star review and say something positive right i think your mother said positive is key yeah, no, nothing, no negative five star reviews. No, Not no, doing don't that want today. that. Uh, if you, your mother said, if you have, any, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. That applies right. with reviews of podcasts. But go to your, your whatever your uh, your podcast platform is, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is, and leave mm-hmm. us a five star review, and we would greatly appreciate it. Chris, I had a great experience this last week. I told you about it right after it happened. I called. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Now, I don't want to mention the name because I didn't get the permission of this person. And sometimes you, you, you hate to just mention people's names over over your, the airway right, without right. their permission. But I called right. them because I wanted a 1031 exchange done. I'm looking at selling my uh, one of my rental properties and buying another rental property in Florida, a condo there in Florida. And so I called up my um, my, my tax guy and said, you know who can do this? Goes, yeah, I got a name for you. Here's a local name in Topeka, Kansas. He does 1031 exchanges. I called him up. The first thing he said to me was, wow, you guys are funny. I like listening to your podcast. I was floored. This guy made my entire week, and that is impressive since it already was made anyways because of the Kansas City Chiefs. But nonetheless, 
Hey, it's like a, it's a gold star week for Joel Olsen right now. It is amazing. You start off with the Chiefs winning in epic fashion. Ooh. You end with someone on the phone saying they like my podcast and, and your podcast as well. They were saying, hey, right. they, 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 he liked you guys. Like you guys had good rapport. So, hey, I love it. That works for me. All right, let's start covering the legal news before we both dive into our football odyssey, if you will. Yes. Yesterday, uh, Justice Stephen Breyer announced his retirement. That was right. not unexpected. That was the yeah. big topic. Will, will Justice Breyer retire? Well, we now know he is going to retire uh, at the end of this term. Chris, what are your thoughts? Well, not shocked. Nobody should be shocked. He's in his 80s, if I remember correctly. He's been on the bench for uh, a good hot 83. minute. 83. Um, he was appointed by a Democratic president. There is a Democratic president in office right now. It would just make sense um, from a political standpoint if Breyer wants to keep the seat that his seat, currently his seat, on the more liberal-leaning side of the court. He would retire when there's a possibility that another left-leaning judge could be appointed as well. And I have my theories that in 2022, this election year, not to delve into politics too hard, but I feel that the Republicans are going to take back the Senate. Okay. And so this would be the only opportunity for Joe Biden to have a 50-50 split in the Senate to be able to get a Supreme Court justice that's left-leaning on the court. Now, I always find this hilarious because whenever a justice steps down, retires, passes away, mm -hmm. whatever— Right. The, it's a big controversy. Who is going to be mm -hmm. the next Supreme Court justice? Should the justice right. step down when the current administration reflects that person's ideologies and beliefs right. and, and the Senate likewise? I find that fascinating because if, and this is a huge if, Chris, but if the court is supposed to be apolitical, right. it shouldn't make a difference. Shouldn't but it does a make a difference because the court is not apolitical. Mm -hmm. That's my take on it. But nonetheless, I get it. I want to get some props, though, to Justice Breyer, because here's what I do, Chris. I, during my class, I play these various clips. I go out and I look for moments of laughter at the Supreme Court. And I, I did actually a survey, and I, I analyzed who is the funniest justice. So I'm just curious, Chris, over the last 10 years, who do you think ranked number one on my funniest justice list? I can immediately eliminate Clarence Thomas because he only started. He only learned to speak like two years ago. Um, it's yeah. it's got to be it's got to be Justice Breyer. It's got to well, be Justice Breyer. Well, well, hold on. Last ten years, Scalia still ranks number one. Scalia, by far and away, is the okay. funniest justice. That okay. does not shock anyone, right? I mean, yes, he did pass right. away several years ago. You might be thinking he's starting to go off the charts a little bit. No, right. he was that funny on the Supreme Court. But yes, number two might surprise a lot of people. Justice Breyer. Stephen Breyer is the second funniest justice. Think Bob Newhart in his delivery style. <laughs> he has a deadpan kind of delivery. Chris, I want to yeah. play for you a clip just to show you how quick-witted and funny Breyer was on, and actually still is, on the court. The case is JDB v. North Carolina. Now, in this case, JDB was a 12-year-old, and there was a burglary of a house in North Carolina. JDB, a 12-year-old, was seen fleeing the scene. So he was a person Correct. of interest. Well, about a week later, one of the items that was stolen from the house was found in JDB school. So the cops go to JDB school. They call him out of class, put him in the principal's office. There you have police officers, you have school officials. 
They're all grilling JDB about this burglary. Who was not there, you ask? Lawyers, parents. Lawyer? No lawyer, no parents, just JDB, a 12-year-old. So here's the issue. He was not Mirandized. Was he in a custodial situation where he should have been Mirandized? What do you think, Chris? Yes. Anytime you're in a custodial situation, at any point, you should be – just because you're 12 doesn't mean you don't have the right to remain silent and you don't have the right for – in those situations specifically, you should have an adult looking out for your best, a non, a non-vested adult looking okay. out for the best interest of the child. But He's as you 12. know, since, as you know, since you did you did work yep. in criminal law, that if you are not in custody and you're free to go, right, then you're not you're not in custody. And here, it was pretty well understood that an adult would have known. No, they're just asking me questions. I am free to go. They're just asking right. questions. I'm not under arrest. I can get up and walk out whenever I want. As a 12-year-old, I am never allowed to get up from the principal's office and walk out. <laughs> no kidding. All right. Never. So, so that being said, let's listen to this clip from the oral argument in this case so we can get a little bit of an idea of Justice Breyer's wit and his, his um, funny bone. <laughs> Here you go. Interrupts the communication. Why not the first thing? Hey, kid. We're here talking, but you want to leave? Just open the door and leave. Go. <laughs> Nobody's keeping you here. Now, why isn't that the first thing, if he's really free to go? Well, he may not want him to go, number one. Oh, 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 I see. <laughs> I see. Oh. That's right. They want to beat the confession out of him. That's why they don't want to tell the right. kid he's free to oh, go. Maybe he wants to be grilled by police officers and the principal sitting in the office in the chair. That's exactly what a 12-year-old wants. Exactly. So that's why the police doesn't tell the kid first thing you're free to go. They don't actually want him to go. They want to trick him into staying exactly right. where he is. And Briar side won that day. You know, I like Briar. I got to tell you, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a conservative. You know that. Uh, you're, right. you're, you bring the other side to this uh, this podcast. But I got to tell you, I like Briar. Uh, he yeah. is a common sense justice. He is a pra mm -hmm. practical justice. He brings the, the practical side. Chris, this might floor you. This might shock you. You might have to pick yourself up Hold off on. the floor after I say this. I'm sitting down. I got okay, this. Okay, good, good. I actually think the Supreme Court needs some liberal justices. I, I, I do. Oh, take me now, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If it was a court Balance. full of Scalia's and Thompson's, which I like, by the way, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that does justice any uh, uh, service. Here's why I say that you need different perspectives. There's right. there's many different ways to approach viewing the law. There is a strict textualist approach. Hey, this is what the black letter of the law says. Therefore, right. you must do what the black letter of the law says. If you don't, we should throw you in jail. All right, that, mm -hmm. that's one way to look. Another way to look is to, is to be more equitable. It's like you know what I yes. know that's what the law says, but here in this situation. It's not the just thing. It's not the right, right thing. I give this example. My friend, true story, who uh, woke up in the middle of his night and the night his appendix was bursting and he, he had his wife drive him to uh, the hospital. So it's in the middle of the night. His appendix is bursting. They approach an intersection and there's a traffic light. Have you ever Ooh. been in that situation? Middle of the night. There's not you a soul around. You, you blow, would blow the, the light. light. Even though the law says you cannot run a red light, you would still blow right. the light. 
See, right. that is the difference between a strict textualist approach and oh, one ver- maybe applying some common sense in a given situation. Yeah, it's in the middle of the night. Your appendix is bursting. The guy is dying. You can blow this red light and get your husband to the hospital. So I think it's actually a good thing to have different perspectives on the Supreme oh, Court. Sure. When I was a, a criminal defense guy working for the public defenders in Monterey County, I had a cop on the stand one time, and he was talking about how there was a gang shooting down the road, and there was a a bystander car that was trying to escape. And his quote, and it will stick with me forever, he goes, if the car next to you starts shooting, the next three stoplights are optional. (laughs) And I'm like, that is, I mean, obviously very against the law. Very, you know, they're they're not optional. But I'm like, you, sir, have a grip on reality. You understand. Like, if the car next to me opens fire, I'm not stopping at red lights. That is so, that is wisdom right there, man. That is wise instruction. That is why I listen to it with this podcast. Just to get your nuggets there. (laughs) If the car next to you stops shooting, the next three stoplights are optional. I'm going to have to use that in my stand-up bit. That is gold, Jerry. That is gold. (laughs) All right, (laughs) but but that's the point, right? You need to have that balance on the Supreme Court, and I'm fully there with you. I don't like. I personally would not like a nine Ruth Bader Ginsburg court. Okay, I I don't. It's not there. We need to have diversity of opinion. We need to have diversity of experience. We need to have diversity of understanding, so that way we can argue it out in respectful ways, and be able to come up with the best solution possible in ways that we may not have seen it. So. I'm looking forward to see who's going to replace uh, Breyer on the court and to see how they interact with with the other justices. And here's another thought. Sometimes these justices, they're all brilliant. They write these yes. opinions. It might be in dissent. It might be in concurrence. Right. But they'll write these opinions that really – provoke thoughts like oh yeah that's a that's an interesting idea maybe we're not ready for it yet as a legal society or as a society but maybe in the future so what happens when you put those ideas out there they are seeds and sometimes seeds just die right they're not they, and people consider for a while and they realize nope nope that was yeah you wrote that in dissent and it should have been in dissent you are an idiot but sometimes those ideas gain steam over time and then become the majority opinion. So there is some real benefit to having these different views at that high level. So, right. of course, we are going to follow who the next Supreme Court justice will be. I will just say this. I'm going to put my conservative hat back on now. Yeah. Please pick the best candidate. I think that is extremely important. Don't go out there and try to serve your political end. It bothered me right. greatly when... When Joe Biden, geriatric Joe, who maybe is suffering from dementia, and I, I, that's not my opinion, uh, people are saying that, he is holding the most powerful position in the free world. He is going to pick as his running mate, not someone who is the most qualified, but someone based upon, I want, that's, uh, that person will give me the most votes and I want to win the next election. Please don't do that here, which by the way, Chris, is a perfect segue to our next story, affirmative action. This is the, the Supreme Court this week agreed to to take up two affirmative action cases. One is uh, based in um, uh, based on the admission practices by Harvard University, and the other one by North Carolina. And so the issue is affirmative action. Can a college, a university, use race as a selection criteria? when it grants admission into their university. Any thoughts on this case? Yeah, lots of thoughts. I mean, 
universities have been doing this for since universities have started. I mean, it's been a practice that they've used. I don't think they can use race as the main determining factor when deciding whether to admit or not admit people, but race can be a determining factor, could be a minor determining factor, as Harvard has argued for the last 30-plus years in looking at, at their their admissions process. It, I don't think it can be the deciding factor, right? I can't look at an application and go, all right, we got a white guy, an Asian person, a black person, and a um, a Hispanic, Latino. Um, So we're just going to take the three black guys and call it a day. I don't, that's, that's obviously in violation of the law, but taking into consideration race on a minor level or looking at like as a law school, go here. ASU is a law school. And as the law community is, as we're aware, is very committed to diversifying law. And so they do look at things like race, ethnic background, religious affiliation, sexual orientation, when they're admitting people to ensure there's equal representation across the board. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. There's a couple of different thoughts you just mentioned I want to highlight. Right. The first one is, can it be the criteria? Okay, so the case Which was Gruder no. v. Bollinger. And in that case, right. 2003 case, the Supreme Court rejected the idea of hard quota. So you can't say, right. look, you have to have... 10% or 50% or, or 10 people, a hard quote. You can't have a hard number when it comes to race-based decisions right. in, in admitting students to, to college. That being said, of course, you can use diversity as, a, as an objective and you can right. use it as a factor that you can, can consider. So it could be a determinative factor in a particular case. If you're looking at, at the two people and one is of a certain race, different race than the other person, you can admit that one person because of their race, it just has to be a case-by-case -case decision right. and one of many factors. That being said, this case presents a very interesting legal issue in my perspective. Because this is the one in Harvard, they are saying that, look, your admission policy is discriminating against Asian Americans. Asian Americans. And because yeah. of that, Asian Americans now are, are being discriminated and not being admitted to this university because of their race. And this is not a minority, this is not a majority race. This is a right. minority, minority race, race. that yep. has historically been subjected to discrimination. So is it okay to discriminate against one minority uh, group who has historically mm -hmm. been discriminated against in favor of another minority group who has historically been discriminated against? So in that context, is this okay? Well, the Chief Justice several years ago said the way to end discrimination based upon race is to stop discrimination based upon race. And so the, according to the Chief Justice, that's problematic. When you use race as a distinguishing characteristic, you are right. perpetuating and continuing the discrimination based upon races when you do that. And so the court's going to hear argument on this case probably right. in the fall, but of course it's going to be a very fascinating case to follow. Any ideas, any thoughts before we move on? Well, I, I think that it's now that it's a conservative majority because it was back in, what was it? 2015, 2016, when, um, Chief Justice Roberts, uh, Justice Thomas, and Justice Alito all wrote that dissent. And now that they're going to be the majority joined by Justice Gorsuch, Justice uh, Kavanaugh, and Justice Barrett, um, I think that they're going to say that the policy is um, in violation and that they're going to try to, to do away with with the Harvard and the um, – Harvard and um, North Carolina, North Thank you. Harvard and North Carolina's admission policies. 
part of my my problem with the flaw in Roberts's logic. Yes, if we stop talking about race, race won't be a problem. If we stop identifying race in general, how are we going to be able to see if the effect of laws is racist through effect? I don't think for a second that that any of the Supreme Court justices are hoods and cloaks and burning crosses racist. I don't think that they're overtly saying we don't like black people or we don't like um, Hispanic or we don't like Asian people. My 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 problem is in this in this line of logic is that we're not looking at the effect of how these laws play out. We're not looking at um, access to these types of educations for minority classes. And I get that Asians are bringing this suit against each other and and. And rightly so, right? We all have a right to petition the court. My fear is that if you stop looking at race as a whole and just say race is not an issue, you're ignoring the fact that there's so much, even in, in using the legal field, and this is something that um, my boss at ASU and I do CLEs on and we lecture on is diversity in the law, which I always find funny because I get up there and I'm like, hi, I'm an upper middle class white male and I'd like to talk to you about diversity, Right, right. And we and my boss, who is an African American male, we talk about it, is that you have to see the numbers. If if we're not judging you on that there's a lot of you know, a lot of um white people who practice law, we're not saying we're not judging on that. We're saying that we need to have diversity of opinions and how do we get there. So by completely eliminating the look at race, you eliminate the ability to look and see, well, maybe it's because of you know, we need to start back in like high school and middle school and start teaching critical thinking skills so that way minority communities can do better on the LSATs or do better in undergrad. Like it's let's look at a full picture rather than saying you're just racist. These are just racist and go from there. So I, I would like to see more examination of race as how can we improve as a culture to improve education, to prove standards, to prove that rather than just saying we just need to ignore race completely. Now, I'm going to make a little bit of a prediction here on how mm -hmm. this case might turn out. At least Do I it. think the, yeah, a phrase you're going to see from the majority's opinion. I am used to litigating in the religious realm. You know, right. exercise of religion, establishment clause type of cases. It's a standard establishment clause principle that government cannot prefer one religion over another religion. Government right. can prefer religion over irreligion in a lot of contexts, but right. cannot prefer the Baptists over the Catholics, over the Muslim, over things like that, over, right. the, over the Jewish people. Uh, you can't prefer one religion over another. Larson v. Valente. Right. I think you can see something similar to that here. The, the, mm -hmm. the court's going to have some kind of opinion that says you can't discriminate against one race over one minority race over another minority race. Uh, by doing that, you are, yeah, you're advantaging one to the disadvantage of another. And so right. whether or not you can have affirmative action in general as a concept, that they'll probably say that's fine, that's okay. But here, if you are discriminating against Asian Americans, in their admission policy, that's going to be a, a problem. I, I just anticipate some kind of compare. You can't discriminate one, against one minority um, mm -hmm. um, group, group in favor or in detriment of another minority group, right. similar to the, the Larson v. Valente line of thinking. But I could be totally wrong on that, and we'll have to wait well, until we'll next year. And that's exactly. going to create a whole new section of cases that if that comes out that direction, which it's totally possible, I, I'm in your camp saying that that's probably going to happen. How is that going to trickle down to everything that, that we do? If, if the government comes out and says you cannot discriminate against one racial class to the benefit of another and the detriment of one, 
right? How is that going to like funnel down to every every other thing we do from how schools are funded in America to how um, how we treat people on the job, all sorts of stuff to that effect. I'm I'm very interested to see five, six, seven years down the line how a decision like that would pan out. Interesting, interesting. I, I have no idea, and, and we're just, yeah. we're just kind of guessing based on yeah. how we think the Supreme Court. The individual justices have ruled in the past and how that might right. rule in the future. Uh, so right. hey, I, I would assume if this case is going to be argued in the in the fall, With then it'll the be decided justice. a year from this upcoming June. So we're, we're a long yeah. ways out from any decision uh, in this case. All right. right. Also in the legal news, Michael Avenatti. I know your favorite lawyer there. He is the one who represented Stormy Daniels. Big Mike. I don't know Stormy Daniels. Is that, is that, that's her porn name, right? She was a porn star. I don't know her actual Correct. name. Uh, or maybe is Stormy Daniels her, her real name or her porn name? Um, I don't. Uh, I haven't looked into Stormy Daniels that much. <laughs> okay, We're right. not on first name basis. But I'm assuming with the first name of Stormy, that can't be her actual real name. And so let's assume that's her porn name. Uh, is Stephanie her- Gregory Clifford is her real name. There you go. All right. And, and so Miss Clifford hired Avenatti uh, for several different reasons. One, they were suing the president of the United States, Donald Trump. Indeed. She also was doing a book. And so he was representing her in that book deal. The allegation was <laughs> is that he then stole from her. He, he um, uh, you know, used a, a did some fraud, uh, falsified some signatures, whatever, to get uh, the the booking agent to give him the money and not her, so that he then spent it. So she right. is now sued. Actually, she is sued, but also there's a criminal matter against him for fraud. And so he just this week decided, you know what? I don't like my lawyers. I, I'm trying to make this to be a made-for-TV movie. This is great. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire my lawyers and represent myself in my own fraud case. Uh, any thoughts on this? I mean, is this any more... Like this whole Stormy Daniels Trump like case, this this is perfectly in line with that, right? Paying off porn stars, book deals, shady lawyers. Of course he's gonna represent himself. Why why wouldn't he? <laughs> like this is like season two of Stormy Daniels, you know, discussion. Like this is the like I I for everybody who graduated first. There is someone who graduated last. Okay. And for every person who has the highest score on the bar exam and passed, there's someone who has the lowest score on the bar exam and passed. Right. And I feel that he's in that shallow end of the water. Like, you talk to any attorney, any attorney whatsoever. If you are in a legal situation, you always hire an attorney. Every attorney will tell you. Every attorney worth their weight will tell you that. I don't care if I have a traffic ticket. If I think that I was wronged in that traffic ticket, I'm going to hire a lawyer to represent me on my traffic ticket because I'm too close to the situation. I cannot have a clear head when I'm that close to the situation because of a thousand different things. Pay the lawyer, have them do their job. Now, that I don't know simple. I don't know who said this, but someone wise said he who represents himself has a fool for a client. And so oh, apparently uh, apparently, uh, Michael Avenatti has a fool for a, a client. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. we, will, we will be paying close attention to this case because in a couple of weeks, actually maybe even next week, mm-hmm. Stormy Daniels is going to be on the witness stand. And Ooh, so this riveting. is going to be Michael Avenatti 
cross-examining Stormy, Stormy and Daniels. Daniels. That oh, is going wait. to that's going to make the podcast for sure. We All should right. do a live podcast while watching that just to just to liven it up. That would like be a mystery great. science three thousand where we're sitting in front of the screen and just mocking it the entire time. If we could get into that courtroom, oh, we would do oh. that. That would be amazing uh, TV uh, entertainment value. A great case. All right. It is now time for courtroom quarterback. Football. Chris, I get that. I am excited about this. I know you and I were texting during the game, but... (laughs) Yes. Just, I know we're going to go into detail. We have an outline here we're going to follow, but just right off the cuff, was that not the most amazing weekend of football, of sports you had ever encountered? Absolutely. I So s- my wife and I do church on Sundays, and this is going to go somewhere, so give me a, a little bit of rope here. Okay, my wife right. and I go to church on Sundays, so Sundays I usually don't have a lot of free time because we're, we're doing church stuff. Saturday is my big day of doing chores, running errands, Costco, cleaning, and all that stuff, so that way I can be prepared for the week. I had the amazing blessing of my father-in-law and mother-in-law coming over to our house uninspectedly. They showed up, they, they were in the neighborhood, they happened to be in town, so they showed up and they just wanted to sit and talk with us. Because my father-in-law showed up, I was able to sit and watch all football all weekend because I was entertaining my father-in-law. And it wow. was a blessing from Lord on high for that because this was hands down the greatest weekend of football I have watched <laughs> probably since the Niners were winning Super Bowls in the 90s. Yes. Oh, it was amazing. It amazing. was amazing. It was, and I actually was at a bar in, in Austin, Texas. And yep. so, you know, this is not Kansas City, but I'm, you know, obviously the Kansas City fan. And yep. so especially during the, the, well, during the Brady game, uh, right? It was the, okay. the Rams versus the Bucks. During mm-hmm. that game, after it ended and Brady lost, I'm telling you, yeah. everyone in the bar stood up and cheered. There was not a single <laughs> Brady fan during that game. No one was cheering when Brady was scoring touchdowns, making his miraculous comeback. Everyone erupted in cheers when Brady went down for the count. And then during the Chiefs Good. game, of course, I was going Ooh. crazy because I'm a Chiefs fan. And I don't right. hide that when I'm out there, you know, rooting for my team in public. Everyone kind of jumped on board with that as well. They were rooting with me. And it was a great, great experience there to, to experience all that. I have some takeaways I just want to throw out there from last weekend. Now, again, this is the end of the week. So I don't want to do a you know a play-by-play recitation of what happened during the games because we all know that it's been about a week since the games. We want to focus now on this upcoming week. But I have some takeaways from this last uh, weekend. I want to get your, your thoughts on them. The first one is apparently Tom Brady needed the McCheater after all. Uh, Bill Belichick. You know, th- here's a thought. <laughs> These two guys. Which one was more responsible for all of those New England Super Bowls? Was it Tom right. Brady or was it Bill Belichick? Chris, maybe the answer is they were both needed. It was You could maybe, not have yeah. one without the other. Yes, they're both great in their own right. Probably will win Super Bowls in their own right. Right. But, man, I am going to suggest Tom Brady really missed the McCheater this last weekend. Here's what I mean by that. When you watch that game, 
Did you notice that Tampa Bay lacked a little bit of control? I mean, their heads weren't quite in. During the first half, Tom Brady even got his first personal foul penalty called against him, I think, in his career. It was amazing. Career first call, yeah. He was lipping off and swearing, cussing out the officials. They're a little bit out of control. Warren Sapp also had a similar thing where he got a personal foul penalty called against him. As I said during last week's podcast, their coach is out of control. It seemed yeah. like oh, the, yeah. the Buccaneers were, were just unraveling here. The last week their coach actually hit one of the players on the side of the head during the game. Right. It looked like this was a team out of control. They played that way during the first half. So maybe Bill Bilicek, you know, he... He's never out of control. That that pretty much is given. He is the the uh, the poster child for being just a even cool kind of guy. Lastly, here I want to focus on the last play or right before the, the last big play of the game. It was that big right. touchdown or not the big what eighty yard peeve where yeah. um uh, the quarterback for the Rams uh Stafford, you know, Stafford threw that long Cooper bomb the Cooper Cup and it put him in field goal range. They downed it. You remember that? That's the play I'm talking yeah. about right there. Yeah, that play that we just went over. Yes. Right. During that play, the defense was supposed to do an all-out blitz. That was the the game play. We are not going to give Stafford enough time to throw the ball anywhere. Yeah, there might be an open receiver, but he better hit that receiver very, very quick. He's going to be on his backside. This was an all-out blitz. Right. There was a problem with that all-out blitz. Two of the defenders didn't get the message, and they stayed back. You can't do a half all-out blitz. That's a defense that's in a disarray. And that's what happened here. He was not under immediate pressure. He had time to set up and to leave that bomb. If Bill Bilicek had been running the defense, there's no way he would not have made sure his players knew what that play call was. So that's my thoughts. Maybe Brady needed Bilicek after all. Any thoughts? I, I'm there with you. I think Bruce Arias is the type of guy that goes home and fights with his wife and then punches through drywall. Like, okay. I feel like like that's his that's his personality. Like, metaphorically, vi- no metaphor- defamation lawsuits against us. Metaphorically. No. Right. Metaphorically. Oh, well, he just seems like he gives off those vibes. He gives right. off because, dude, you're a you are a head coach with arguably the greatest quarterback of at least my generation, if not what we've seen in the last 40 years. Uh, Tom Brady, love him or hate him, is amazing at what he does. So for you to get that emotionally disconnected to where you create division within your team, you are not a head coach. You are a babysitter. You are a parent. (laughs) You're not there. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady had that rhythm together, mainly because they worked together for years and years and years and they coalesced, right? Belichick right. trusted Brady to do Brady things. And there is not a single person who watched the Rams Bucks game who came out of halftime going, Brady's down by 20 points. He's been here before. Like, the game's not over. There's no oh, same No one who's a Brady fan. hater thought the game was right. over. We knew Brady right. was going to come back. Right. There is no doubt in anybody's mind. People were even going, oh, no, Rams aren't up up by enough coming right. into the second half to beat Brady. And that's very clear. Brady is good at what he does. There's no doubt in that. But Aris is just the, – he's, he's not there. He's not a coalition builder. Hate, hate on Belichick all you want, and we will. Like, we, we will hate on Belichick he's all day. He's the McCheater. But he 
knew how to coach. He knows how to do his And even look at the Patriots, how far they came with a rookie quarterback. Belichick's right. system works. Belichick needs Brady. Brady needs Belichick. It's it, And it's fine to say that they're codependent on one another because it's a system that causes success. There's nothing wrong with that. I agree. I agree. And so uh, I, I think maybe that should be the swan song after all this is that they, they right. both are good in their own right. I just wish Bill Bill Belichick had not engaged in cheating and cost one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time, Kurt Warner, a Super Bowl championship. Well, nonetheless, here's my second takeaway, because that actually is a good segue, and I'll explain why in just a bit. I love Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was stud in the clutch. I mean, he came through. I think Aaron Rodgers is at the opposite end of the spectrum. I am going to suggest. Oh, how do we talk about Aaron Rodgers as an MVP? I hate that conversation. <laughs> I know. I hate it. He's, he's going to win MVP for the second no. time in a row here. No. He, it's, it's done. The votes are in. No. They, they, they don't vote during the offseason. Why no. do you think Rodgers is not going to win the MVP? I don't think Rodgers – there should not even be a discussion of Aaron Rodgers being MVP. <laughs> there is nothing about Rodgers that equals most or valuable or player. Like, oh, he's by a player. Defin- I, he's <laughs> – there's a different P word I'm looking for. <laughs> okay, all right. I got you on that one. I got you on that one. But, I mean, th- <sighs> ah, all I have is angry, like, thought bubbles right now, thinking that <laughs> someone like – look, is Aaron Rodgers a good quarterback? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback. Were the Green Bay Packers the number one seed and, and all that jazz? Yes. Did they have a great record? Yes. That does not make an MVP. You know what makes an MVP? Cooper Cup what? makes an MVP. All right. I'll right? give you that. And why do you say Cup? Because he he has he's coming out of the gate. He's a relatively unknown player, and he holds three of the top records at the end of the season. He was crucial to the Rams' victory across the board because we know Matthew Stafford is not a Aaron Rodgers level quarterback or a Tom Brady level quarterback. Cooper Cup carried a lot of the Rams um, early on. He also shows up to every practice with Matthew Stafford at 6 a.m., going over game tape, reading defenses, paying attention. The guy is dedicated to his team, and he carried the Rams through most of the season. There should be a discussion of Cooper Cup. There should be a discussion. So here's a thought out there. The thought out there is you need to vote for MVP before the postseason happens. It should just be based upon the regular yeah. season. It's That's true in baseball, it's true in basketball, and it's true in uh, in football. Right. Why? If the point of of sports is to win in the postseason, that's, that's what you're geared to do, to win the game, why not consider their their feats during the, the postseason? I know it's going to yeah. be, you're going to suffer from recent bias, but isn't right. that the whole point? Is that right. you actually perform the best during the biggest moments? Right. And so here, here's a question I I, I want to get your thoughts on. Um, I think Rodgers is the most overrated quarterback. I think there is a difference between shining during the regular season, being a right. stud during the regular season, which a lot of quarterbacks have done that, right. and then that, and then coming through in the postseason, as we are about right. to touch uh, a little bit here. Patrick Mahomes is a stud during the postseason. Right. He, Tom Brady obviously is a stud during the postseason. Why is that? Why does a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, and I'm going to throw in his couple other names here as well. How about Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning won some Super Bowls too, I believe. Right. But he was another level during the regular season. He was not that same level during the, the postseason. I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. Alex right. Smith from my Kansas City Chiefs. Great, great quarterback during the regular season. 
I don't think he ever won a playoff game for us. Maybe one, and I'm not even sure on that. Dan, Dan Marino. I'm right. a huge Dan Marino fan, but it He's was thought guy. that he was a different level during the regular season as he was during the postseason. Why is that? Why do some quarterbacks shrink and some quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, they elevate their game to another stratosphere? I think it's, I mean, how well do people do under pressure, right? You've argued at the Supreme Court. As a lawyer, you've argued at the Supreme Court. That's well, I've a different case because I've had cases go to the U.S. Supreme Court. But yes, okay, but that's a different breed of lawyer than somebody who just does family law litigation. Right, right. Like there's lawyers that that only do transactional work because they would die if they had to speak to a judge. Some people perform better under pressure. And now, if you're in a league of litigators, right, and you are the top dog litigator. There, that's a different breed. You dedicate different times. You, and also, I mean, you just you think better on your feet. You can when the when the pressure cooker's on. That's who I want. That's why there's only certain people that you want arguing your cases in front of the Supreme Court. Right. There's there's a reason why you hire outside counsel just to do voir dire or just to just to cross examine a CEO or a cop. Yes. Right. Because that that person is that good in that pressure situation. You are Pat- right. Th- Patrick Mahomes is that good. Tom Brady is that good in that pressure situation. Guys like Troy Aikman, who won four Super Bowls, they weren't that good in that pressure situation, but their team was. Emmett Smith was. You know, uh, Michael Irvin was. He can make catches. Joe Montana, I love him, right? Joe Montana is a holy name in the Marone household. Right. But he wasn't a, a Tom Brady type pressure cooker. Joe Montana could make big plays, but he had big playmakers to go to. Tom Brady could hit a dime, you know, mid-flight, and so could Patrick Now, hold Mahomes. on a second there. Joe Montana was amazing under mm-hmm. pressure. He was cool. He Joe was, cool under pressure. That guy he, had ice for veins. But it's not the same as you're looking at, like, Joe Montana. And, I, and again, I need to preface this. I love Joe Montana. Again, we have a shrine to Joe Montana at my <laughs> house. Right. right? Joe Montana is synonymous with my childhood. But Joe Montana had a very established Niners team. He had Ronnie Lott. He, he had did. He had Jerry Rice. He had Dwight Clark. He had all these great players. Patrick Mahomes has developed. Tom Brady has developed great players. But even, and, even Rodgers, though, has good players around him. He just he shrinks during the postseason. I, I think that Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, these kind of players, they know how to elevate in the pressure situation. It's almost like pressure doesn't even phase these guys. As you said, there is a difference between talking to someone about the law when you are just at a coffee shop and you're just chit-chatting. As compared to being in front of the court with justices that are staring down at you, asking you questions, you got to give an answer in that moment. That's You could have a deer in the headlights kind of look. All I'm saying is Mm -hmm. some quarterbacks have that. They have that ice in their veins. Joe Montana, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, but Aaron Rodgers, I think we all can agree, does not have it. He had a great chance these last three years to win, and he did not do it. Now, this leads me to my next take, which is not a long take, but I am going to suggest, Chris, the biggest loser from this last week was not Aaron Rodgers. No. It, it was not the Buffalo Bills. In fact, the Buffalo Bills, they came out smelling like a rose. They look incredible. Their their fan base looks incredible. Their, their quarterback looks incredible. Their coach, yeah. eh, maybe not so much. But nonetheless, the biggest loser from this last week was the city of Detroit. 
right? I mean, mm. come on. Yeah. Look at Matthew Stafford. 100%. Matthew Stafford yeah. showed he is the stud at quarterback. He, he made no – if you look at that, that comeback that Brady did – None of those were the fault of Matthew Stafford. He didn't throw interceptions. He didn't fumble the ball. It was his teammates that fumbled the ball uh, and and committed stupid penalties, not Matthew Stafford. He's shown. I assumed, based upon his 13 years in Detroit, he was a loser of a quarterback. Not so. It must just be the city of Detroit. I don't know. Maybe we have some Detroit Detroit listeners. I I don't know. Maybe it's the Ford curse that they all kind of fixed on the road daily. Yeah. I don't know. But nonetheless, I think daily lions. I love that. That's exactly, that's exactly the lions have the check engine light on. That's, that's going to be my new, my new thing all day long. I like it. I like it. So yeah, I think the biggest loser last week was Detroit. Would you really want to go play for Detroit after you now know they could not do anything with Matthew Stafford for 13 some years. Matthew Stafford goes to the Rams and immediately now is playing for the right to go to the Super Bowl. All right, right. Lastly here, before we go into our picks for this upcoming week, the Chiefs-Bills game. Now, Ooh. my take on this, and I'll be curious to hear your take, was that one of the big discussions from this game is should the overtime rules be changed? To give you a little bit of context. This mm-hmm. was an incredible game. Back and forth. I mean, for crying out loud, Buffalo scored the apparent game-winning touchdown with 13 seconds left. In my mind, we had lost that was a great game, but come on, there's 13 seconds left. Uh, no, uh, from that moment after Allen threw that touchdown pass, he never got the ball again. Never, yeah. because the Chiefs had the ball for 13 seconds, kicked the game, tying field goal. It went into right. overtime. There was a coin flip. The Chiefs won the coin flip and then scored a TD. And so Allen right. never got the ball back. Should the overtime rules be changed? Now, before we get into this conversation, I want to throw this out there for people who might not know this. People are thinking, oh, my goodness, the Bills got screwed. They they never touched the ball again. These overtime rules are horrible. They gave the game to the Chiefs. Uh, Hold on. Let's go back three years. AFC Championship game. Kansas City Chiefs versus the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. We scored a late to put the game into overtime. We never got the ball in overtime. They won the coin flip, and Tom Brady took his team down, and they scored a touchdown. The Chiefs got robbed out of a Super Bowl trip. That being said, we then went, our owner then went to the other owners right after that to change the overtime rules. We said, look, this is not fair. Both teams should be given a chance to possess the ball in overtime. Do you know what the owners roundly told our our owner, Clark Hunt? Said, nope, not at all. Nope, we don't want it. Uh, now you're going to discuss it. Case closed. So don't blame the Chiefs for these overtime rules. We were bit by it three years ago. We yep. tried to change the rules. No one would listen to no us. Dice. So, hey, Buffalo Bills, look to your owner. Why didn't he stand up and speak on behalf of Clark Hunt three years ago? So what do you think about those overtime rules? I think they're dumb. I really do. I think that, um, that it should just be another an overtime quarter, kind of like how they do in the NFL, maybe a smaller, maybe a seven minute quarter instead of a 15 minute quarter or something to that effect to give the, the teams the opportunities to, to both have possession of the ball. Um, but I also think that a lot of the talk that's surrounding this, like, Oh, the, you know, the, the bills got screwed. No owners have had the opportunity to change the game 
since even before Patrick Mahomes and and the Chiefs lost to the Patriots, the owners at any point could have changed these overtime rules. They have the power to do so. There's no like this isn't Congress, guys. This isn't right, right. red tape and constitutional amendments and all laws governing it. You're a bunch of rich dudes hanging out in a room. If you could tell them or if you could connect to them that they would make more money by changing the overtime rules, which they would, they would do it. Now, let me give you a, a couple of things about the Chiefs' suggestion, because it might come back in the news here this right. offseason. Number one, both teams get to possess the ball, okay. period. Uh, it doesn't matter if the first team scored a touchdown. Right. They both get to possess the ball, and then they move forward. Here's the other thought. The team that gets the ball first during uh, overtime is the team that won the initial coin flip. So if you won the initial coin right. flip, then you now get to make that decision. Do you want the ball first or do you want to defend first in overtime? And right. I thought, well, why would that be a part of the rule? And this it dawned on me why that would be part of the rule. That way it gives the coaches certainty as they are coaching near the end of the game. If they yeah. know that the other side gets that first pick, they can maybe make decisions down the road that might impact how they play out the rest of the game if they knew Indeed. who was going to possess the ball first during the overtime. So, hey, that's something to pay attention to um, yeah, during this, this next season. One of the other arguments that has been put out there, the options for overtime, is to do it like the colleges, which, which may be a little bit different. So each team gets the ball at the 40-yard line. And then okay. no no kickers whatsoever. You just get the ball at the 40-yard line until you can score a touchdown or you run out of down, downs. Then the right. other team gets their chance. You keep doing that until the game is over. So I don't know what they're going to choose. I would just predict this offseason they will finally change those overtime rules. All right. Let's now move on to this week's games. And so let's start with, I'm going to let you pick the first game, and I will pick the second game first. Of, of course I have to talk about Rams-Niners. Okay. I got to talk about Rams-Niners, because we've been doing this podcast all football season, and you and I both agreed that it was going to be, well, I don't remember if you agreed, but I called a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl. Yeah, but you and did. I, you I nailed believe it. you called Chiefs Bucks, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't. I didn't do the Bucks, but I might have done the Packers. I'm gonna have to go back and listen yeah. to that episode. I know I was very negative on the Bucks. I said they will right. at some point in time this year. They will unravel, they but will. I might have picked the Packers. Right. So I'm looking at Rams Niners. I picked Rams because there was no way that I thought in any realm of existence on this planet or the multiverse that the Niners were going to make the <laughs> NFC championship game. Right. If you would have asked me, I would have bet my retirement fund and all the money in my pockets that the Niners would not make it to the NFC championship game. Is this, is this like heaven for you? Is this like the perfect setup for you to watch football? Your right. two teams Rams. So who, who are you going to root? Now, I know you're going to pick a team. Right. But who are you going to root for? I'm going to root for the Niners. Okay. Because I can't, like, I can't. I'm 40 years of emotional investment. I am gold blooded. I am a Niners person. The Bay all the way. But the Rams are going to win. I'm picking right. the Rams to win. But man, I'm going to be, like, in the fetal position crying about the Niners' loss. 
but I'm going to be celebrating the money win from the <laughs> That's Rams. That's right. So can you explain to me, because I'm not as big of a, a Rams or a 49ers fan. I mean, obviously right. I follow them. But I did not realize that the 49ers have now won, I think they say, six straight games against the Rams. Yes, they Two, have. obviously, this year. They won in Week 10, 31-10. They right. won in Week 18 to get into the playoffs, 27-24 in overtime. I looked at the stats of both those games. Nothing really jumps out to me Nothing. as to why do the 49ers own the Rams? And then why do you think this will be different? So the, they have the Rams' number. Like, they they always have. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because San Francisco coalesces against – because the whole SFLA rivalry, I don't know. I mean, I there's nothing that stands out. Just the Rams make some stupid mistakes, and they're not, like, monumental mistakes. They're just incremental mistakes that let them – like, kind of like what happened during the Niners game this last week where it was just stupid basic mistakes that the Packers made that allowed the Niners to capitalize, right? They, the defense allowed a blocked punt. They allowed the defense of the, of the bucks allowed two, um, or I'm sorry, the defense of the Packers allowed for two blocked kicks. That's stupid mistakes. If they would have just protected, or they would have been a better O line that they had been all season. The Niners would never have been able to broke break through that line and block both of that field goal and that, that pump block that turned into the touchdown that tight. Like these are things that the Niners just get lucky on and they have all season. Um, I think that Jimmy G is a very underrated quarterback. I started going through back on some of his stats. Um, when Jimmy G has been healthy and at the helm of the Niners, he's made it to the NFC championship game and the super bowl. So for the five seasons that he's been in with the Niners, he was out for two with injuries. He had the torn ACL, uh, um, and then he was traded midseason into the Niners. They went to the NFC Championship all three times, and he's been to the Super Bowl once. So he's very underrated because he's not kidding. He's not that great. Yeah, I was. That was one of the things I was looking at this week. Like, what makes Jimmy G do this? But when he was under Brady in New England, when Brady was suspended for a couple games, he went two and zero, and then Brady came back, and then he got traded to the Niners. He went to the NFC Championship game, lost. He went the next year. He he was out, and then he went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Chiefs. Right. And I remember was, that game. A very right, good game. Very, very good game. Dear to and my then heart. He was, and then he was out, and then they made it again to the NFC Championship game, and they lost. All right. So Jimmy G's a great quarterback. But I'm, I I feel like the Rams have coalesced more. This Rams team, I think, like how they showed up against Arizona, even how they played um, last week, and it was a it was a hard fought victory, right? Hard fought right. victory. I think that they, I mean, they're battle hardened, ready to go. Whereas the Niners have kind of lucked their way in. So if they can technically perform like they have been because the game against the Bucks, they were technically perfect against the Bucks. There wasn't a lot of mistakes being made. So if they do that against the Niners, the Niners aren't going to get their lucky, you know, punt blocks and victories in. All right. This is going to be, I am, I am at wit's end on this game. Based right. on what you just said, I can see this game going either way, either way. I mean, common sense tells me, the 49ers, the clock just struck midnight. You're, uh-huh. you're going to turn back into a pumpkin, whatever the metaphor is from Cinderella. You're done. You, you were lucky last week that you played. You are a, a running team that plays an incredible running right. game, and you played in a snowstorm in Green Bay. It's like an uh-huh. ideal situation, and you played against a quarterback 
who has who is as as unclutch as they come. Right. That's not going to happen here. The clock is striking midnight, and I think common sense tells me they're going to get blown out. I mean, right. the, the pressure is finally going to be too much. Garoppolo is going to make some uh, continue to throw interceptions. Even though I say all that, and plus look at the Rams. The Rams now have OBJ. He's coming to his own. Uh, Cup is is probably the, the best receiver in the NFL right now playing for right. the Rams. Their quarterback did not make any mistakes. Check the tape. Did not make mistakes last week. He is playing on fire. He is, he is playing clutch as well. <clears throat> they got Von Miller now on their defense. This is a different team than earlier in the season. I think the Rams are going to blow them out. Right. That being said, how do I explain a 6-0 run by San Francisco? There's got to right. be something else there. Also, my rule of thumb when I'm making these picks is I go with the veteran coach and the clutch quarterback. Here, I don't <laughs> see how that favors San Francisco. Uh, their co- their quarterback is not even in the same realm as Matthew Stafford. No. So, so that being said, I'm really struggling with this pick. I'm going to have right. to go with the Rams just because I think right. this week you're going to see two blowouts. It, it, we, we so often see in football and in sports, right. when you have a weekend of incredible, nail-biting, classic, epic games where everyone is right. so pumped up about that sport, the next week, they're duds. And I have a feeling They're this week out, we're going yeah. to see two duds. The stronger team is going to prevail. The weaker team finally is going to be exposed. And so I am taking the Rams to cover the spread against the 49ers. A- any thoughts? Which is a three-point spread. Like last wow, time I checked, it. it's, a, it's a three-point spread. So even then, even the Vegas odds makers are like, well, uh, I and, and like we said last week, right? Playing at home gives you a three-point advantage. So right. essentially, I mean, it's a zero point spread. And so it's good. I mean, I think of the two games, I think the Niners Rams game is going to be the more interesting to watch because it's going to be more of a nail biter. But I also think that um, the Rams are just going to pull it out. It's their time. I think it's it's I mean, Sean McVay's done an amazing job with the program. Everybody laughed at him when he pulled Matthew Safford for Jeff Goff. Like there was a lot of there was a lot of early on season going, man, Sean McVay's lost his mind. But he he sees it right. He sees the long game. So I think that that's going to play into it as well. That being said, I I did forget to mention last week's results. Last week in oh, that yes. epic week where know. you know every game was a nail biter decided on the last play. The first three games were won by the the visiting team. Yep. I do feel like I have to point out I went it. four and zero oh last week. I picked every single game, and so my record now is sixty two and forty one. Started with five hundred, now at seven hundred and ten dollars. I don't know the math on that just yet, as far as the percentage. Right. I will figure that out by next week. You didn't do too bad last week, two and two, right. and you are fifty nine and forty six. You are plus thirteen right. uh, for the year. So uh, that being okay, now let's go over to the, the, the Chiefs. The game. real game. The real reason we're here to talk. <laughs> I also think this is going to be a dud because of the hype from last week. Now, I do right. know I, I fear saying that because I think Joe Burrows is the real deal. I think he's an amazing quarterback. He's a clutch quarterback. Again, the clock is striking midnight right now yeah. on Joe Burrows' second season. Great quarterback. It's just it's just too much for this week. Now, this is a re- I say it for a couple of reasons. No, the first reason is... This is a rematch from Week 17 game. Yes. Normally in rematches, I favor 
the team that got upset the first time because if right. that team is supposed to win and lost, they're not going to take them for granted the second time around. And here, there's no way the Chiefs are overlooking the Bengals. The Bengals just beat us. Now, granted, it was on their home field. Also, how did the Bengals beat the Chiefs in Week 17? Here's how they did it. The Chiefs had a huge lead during that game. But the Cincinnati went on a six-minute and one-second drive to end the game with a game-winning field goal. We never got the ball back. They got the ball with six minutes and one second to go. The Chiefs never touched the ball again. I was screaming. Everyone in my house can attest to this. I was screaming at the TV, Chiefs, let them score. I don't care. Let them score. Walk them into the end zone. I don't care. The only way we lose this game is if Patrick Mahomes does not touch the ball again. Cincinnati's coach knew that. And so basically, once they got past the two-minute warning, they just kneeled it from there on out and then just kicked the field goal to win the game. They would rather do that than ever possibly score a TD and let Patrick Mahomes touch the ball. And now that we know what he can do in 13 seconds, that was a very wise move on his part. My point is the Chiefs know that. The Chiefs offense is going to be motivated from the get-go. I think they're going to blow out Cincinnati. Also, during the Cincinnati game, their receiver caught for 266 yards. That was an epic game. Surely the Chiefs have found some way to account for that. And and I don't think their other receivers are at the same level as as Chase. But nonetheless, I think we'll be able to stop Chase from having 266 receiving yards. And the Bengals will be out of of miracles in this game. And the Chiefs are going to be on fire from the get-go. And they will never take their foot off of the gas pedal. It doesn't matter how big the lead is. They will remember that six-minute and one-second drive. Any thoughts? So I'm taking the Chiefs. I don't even care the, the spread. Actually, I think it's a seven-point spread. The Chiefs yeah. will cover the seven-point spread. Right. I think I think you're right. I think it's going to be seven points. Um, I think the Chiefs are going to win. I, I think that last week's game with Joe Burrow is a classic example, and I said it earlier when we were talking, um, of any given Sunday. Joe Burrow was sacked nine times for like 175 yards. Wow. Loss. How is he standing? Right. and Because he's like 25 years old. <laughs> right. Right? Like, I get it. Well, and he's had knee surgeries. He's got some battle scars on him. But I, I think that... Joe Burrow won last week because the other team lost. Not right. not so Good much point. of his greatness and his yes. abilities. I mean, Cincinnati, I think they I they got one touchdown and the rest was field goals. And if, if you the end of the game, what you're referencing is um the quarterback for Tennessee, his right. name escapes me right now, uh, but I'm sure you remember Ryan here Tannehan. by Tannehill. Yeah, Tannehill. Tannehill. He was driving his team to put him into a field goal position through an incomprehensible interception. How can you throw that right now? The game is tied. But through the interception. Yeah, Tannehill threw an interception to start the game. His first throw of the game was an interception. And his last throw of the game was an interception. You don't win playoff games by throwing three total interceptions for the game. Right, that's a good point. So, Chase, so your point there is Joe Burrows really didn't just grab that game by the bullhorns no. and just dominate it. He got a Not little even. bit of luck to even have he that limped, chance. He limped into a and I and I feel the same way about the the Niners at this one. They limped into a victory. They the other team beat themselves more than the Bengals beat them. The Bengals didn't beat Tennessee. Tennessee beat themselves. So coming right. in against a Patrick Mahomes in an AFC Championship game after a courageous 
and amazing Bills Chiefs game, which we'll talk about for years to come. Right. Um, there's no way Joe Burrows could step up to that. I Not even right. a little bit. I, that my gut is telling me that this is going to be two blowouts. And this is right. not going to be the same football we saw last week. Not even. And you're going to see two blowouts. And by the way, another difference between the Chiefs and Bengals game now, as compared to Week 17, that one was played in Cincinnati. This one right. will be played at Arrowhead, which it should be nice weather, but it's going to lead to a Super Bowl, which is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs versus the LA Rams. And I want to be the first person to just say. How unfair this is. You know, Chris, I know you know this because you pay attention to football. In the history of the NFL, prior to last year, so what, 50-some, 53, 54, I don't know how many Super Bowls, do you know how many of those were ever played in one of the team's home field? Zero. Zero. None. Nada. None. None. Now, two years in a row, it's going to be held at one of the team's home field. Right. And who is the opposing team in both of those games? Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, that is just, that is bad luck right there. That but is bad juju. That is. Uh, but nonetheless, I, when are they going to hold a Super Bowl here in Arrowhead? I have no idea if that will ever happen. It should. Oh, yeah. it we should. deserve our home game as well. But you do. I, hey, that's not going to play a role here. Uh, but we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the Super Bowl. If it does happen, who knows? We'll be back here next week. And we're, we're going to be talking about a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl. And that is going to be <laughs> a lot of fun as well. All right. right. That being said, it is now time to get to work here. I know you have a busy day. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Have a great week in watching football and stay safe. Have a great one, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. <laughs>